Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. What in the hell do you think you're doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Oh, the chicken. Double time. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Welcome in on a Tuesday. It was glorious early. It looks like it's going to rain a little bit now, but this is the first time I have been in this studio. I was right next door on P on Saturday night, but in this studio for a week. And let me tell you, I've had an outstanding time. Kyle and I were just discussing the fact that this is kind of like it was a year ago in October, out and out often. And for those of you that I see all the time, for those of you that I see some of the time, and for those of you I see for the first time, it has been an absolute blast. And this month of October being out continues coming up later on this week. Free Spirit, that's coming up on Thursday. Larcity Bourbon Locks, Luna Azul Tequila Shots. And on Friday, Average Joe's and Broad Ripple. A shout-out to Rob Sabatini. Here we come. Bud Light Blue Friday. Jaguars, Colts tickets, by the way. That's a big one. Uh, as if you didn't know that. And we'll be up in Broad Ripple at Average Joe's right there in the window. Yeah, check the weather, too. We always sit in the window, open the window up, and I sit right there. Right next to the sidewalk. So that is going to be fantastic. You know, last night I was glad because I've really enjoyed the postseason so far in Major League Baseball. I mean, really enjoyed it. I thought the wild card games were outstanding. And I know that for the most part, a couple of them went to zip. But nonetheless, I thought it was outstanding. I thought it was a great watch. Without question. Now, you could make an argument today that the the Phillies, and listen, this is where these teams in the wild card, it's much like we talk about what? The NFL wild card. You, if you win, get off to a start. Your wheels are rolling. Your skids are greased. The other team, in this case, the Braves, the higher seed, that team isn't. So it may take them a little bit to get off the mark. I always felt, I always felt that that was one of the the really big advantages that a wild card team would have. It doesn't always show up that way, but it seems like oftentimes that it does. I always thought that was a big deal. See the Phillies, the Phillies doing to the Cardinals two consecutive. 6-1 6-1 right now over the Braves. Bounce Max Freed after, what, a three and two-thirds or whatever. That looks like a team that's off and been off to a good start. We'll see if that holds true for the others coming up later on tonight. But, no, I was glad that Monday Night Football was standalone. You want to know why? Because it gave us, it gave us a lot 
last night and well beyond just the field of play. It gave us a lot. It gave us a pretty good game. Chiefs go down big early, come back like you knew that they would. You knew that at some point the Raiders would relinquish the lead. But that thing was nonstop. I don't know what the NFL has against Chris Jones, but it seems to be rather significant. Maybe he brings it upon himself. Maybe there's just a bunch of stuff we don't know. But he got flagged here that cost the Chiefs the game. Uh, The roughing the passer, which has going along with what took place with Tom Brady and Grady Jarrett on Sunday afternoon with the Falcons and the Buccaneers. I mean, it already was off to a start. And, And believe me, you guys, some will make fun. Now, there's a reason why I call the NBA officials the best in the world. Most of you know that. Because, you know, okay, the best in the world. They're supposed to be, but oftentimes, let's just say, they don't act and or execute like it. And really, the same holds true. And there's nothing, there's really nothing that brings us together as a nation more than fouled up officiating. And you kind of hate it because this has a trickle-down effect all the way down to, you know, the, the teenage and the single-digit, the elementary levels of sports where parents act like, complete a-holes i've seen it so you had that trickle down effect but in a nation where we don't agree on very much if anything whatsoever there's one thing that i think universally maybe more than most you might agree upon and that is if the officiating is bad everybody piles on if there's a bad call especially when it comes to an offense, or in this case, a quarterback. I mean, on Sunday, you got it with the greatest of all time. And then last night, you got it with just kind of an average, better-than-average quarterback in Derek Carr. But it was a standalone game on Monday night where if you were a sports fan, more than likely you were watching, and you got to pile on. And again, universally speaking, that may be the only thing that our nation ever will come together at the same time about and rejoice. It's piling on officiating. Everybody was doing it last night. It did. It looked like a strip sack to me. It looked like a strip. Andy Reid. Andy Reid's acting was legit on the sideline. I'll give you a great example on that State Farm commercial. Andy Reid looks about as out of place doing that as anything. It's almost like watch watch that State Farm commercial. Well, they're supposed to be on the Chiefs plane, and he's like drawing mustaches. I'm assuming on players. I don't know if it's just average dudes riding on the Chiefs team plane or what. But anyway, yeah, the, the, his acting is is solid, right? Really solid. Yeah, last night was legit. He had a legitimate reason to be angry about it because it is ridiculous. But again, nothing brings us together like a call like that. And then in tune, when everybody starts screaming and yelling about a call like that, the next day seemingly somebody comes out with a report, and I knew I should have done it. I could have just like said, sources tell me the NFL after the past two days will at some point on the competitions committee revisit the rules for roughing the passer. You know, some things things you can just guess, right? I should have been on top of that last night. Instead, I sat around and tried to make a video with tub thumping in that 
wild ass Chiefs fan. I should have went ahead and said, sources tell me, because that was going to be an obvious story everywhere on Tuesday morning. Because the entire world is going to go off about it. The entire world may differ on a lot of things, but nobody would differ on that call last night. I mean, for once, we're all in the same gang on that call last night. Bad officiating, oh, we all got to pile on. And I guess I would be chief among them, especially in the NBA, because that's my forte. Not my Joe forte, but it's my forte. Last night was pretty funny. Chris Jones, I don't feel bad for Chris Jones, but think about this. And and Kansas City ended up winning, so whatever. And they won in a fashion in which I think a lot of people around here would thoroughly enjoy because 11th hour screwed himself and his team. That's awesome. I can't lie, when 11th hour screws up, I'm kind of like there. Even if it was Chris Ballard's fault, When 11th hour screws up, I am there to laugh about it. And that's just me. That may be wrong. I'm not sure. But when he screws up, when the 11th hour screws up, I am right there to poke some fun. I was poking some fun last night at with around four minutes and 30 seconds to go. uh, The analytics nerds decided to go ahead and we'll talk to one coming up in the four o'clock hour, Ben Brown. You think on Ben Brown's spreadsheet it says to go ahead and go for two right there? Because I thought that that was the dumbest thing ever. You think there's ever a point in time when you you just look at it and you go, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go ahead and coach it. And doing going for two right here just doesn't feel right. I don't care what your spreadsheet reads. I don't care what your mathematics come up with. Listen. This is a true story right here. Baseball analytics started it all, but really sports analytics started, and I think I brought this up before, and this is well before Kyle's time. If you're a member of Generation X like me, you certainly remember this, and certainly the older folks out there will remember this, but back to the Looney Tunes cartoon. When you had Foghorn Leghorn, he was trying to – to get up on a hot single hen, right, in the barnyard. The hot single hen had a chick, and the chick was a nerdy chick. The chick didn't dig on sports, but, you know, the chick liked mathematics and stuff, and Foghorn tried to, you know, get the chick to get into sports to to provide a, a little bit of interest for the hen. And remember, he got him in sports, and the chick would always start, like, writing stuff down. Like formulas down on how to hit better, how to hit a baseball better, how to pitch a baseball better. All this stuff we see right now. So, I mean, Looney Tunes is well in front. This goes back to the 1950s. Well in front of all these analytics that absolutely slam us over the head in all of our sports these days. I'll be honest with you. I wanted to take like three PE classes when I was in junior high and high school. You want to know why? Because I did not want to take one math class. I wanted to take as many physical education courses when I was in high school because I had nothing for algebra or geometry or trigonometry or calculus. I didn't want any part of it. And that was always like this really cool, right, place where we were away from it. All right, well, sports right here, it's all... It all comes down to, you know, 
physical. It all comes down to execution. It all comes down to performance. I don't know if I would have been digging on sports if somebody's going to hand me a spreadsheet and say, you need to base your decision in this final 430 to win this football game on what this card says. So who came up with this card, and why is he not the head coach? Who has printed this card out? You bring him down here and let him make that call because at the time it felt this way and it still feels this way right now among one of the dumber ideas ever. For crying out loud, just kick the extra point. Tie the game up. Those same worries that you had were still going to be prevalent. I mean, even last night, like, Joe and Troy tried to make sense of it, and we were all at home going, yeah, whatever. <laughs> well, you know, you know you're going to give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes with a lot of time to get down the field. I mean, it's the same situation, except except at least then you're going to be tied. Well, you got a really good place kicker, except you're going to be tied. Well, their place kicker has struggled except for that, you know, 59-yarder at the end of the half. Yeah, but at least you're tied. I'm telling you, just let the analytics people, I guess, decide this. I, I don't know how far we can go before I have to go. All right. We're going to have to stop using all the math. Hey, Frank Reich uses this stuff all the time. He's got two guys up in the booth shouting down to him. This is what you should do right here. It's like Kramer and his caddy. And a couple of, well, that one episode of Seinfeld when they were in court with Jackie Childs. Go for the green. The chart says, go for the green, right? <laughs> chart says, go for the green, 11th hour, with 4.30 remaining. I, anybody else? I guess that may be something else that most of us would agree on as well, would be that. Go, just go ahead and kick that extra point. Just tie the game up. You worked all you worked all the way back. And I can't imagine like everybody talks about momentum, and all this must just be a bunch of crap and a bunch of talk, but everybody talks about momentum. And you work your way back and you now you got some momentum and you go out there and you get stuffed on the two point conversion. And I get it. If you, you know, cash in on the two-point conversion, everybody's going crazy. But that's still, and they did stop KC, but that still doesn't mean you're going to stop them. I just oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes doesn't make any sense, and last night was one of those. I'd like to see a coach after the game say, hey, well, you know what, uh, Neil and Doug, uh, they're up in the booth and they're our analytics guys, and they said that was a full go. <laughs> it's not on me. Well, the chart says this. What's your head say? What do you think about in the moment? Where the game is at right now with 4.30 to go? What's your head say? They didn't hire a chart. They hired you, 11th hour. I'm going to tell you, you must feel really comfortable in it, too, if you're 11th hour. 
because the season hasn't started the way that they thought it was going to start, and that was a major gaffe last night. Major gaffe. So I always find that funny. Back to Chris Jones for a moment, too, as we got a little bit off track. Yeah, not only did he get called for the roughing the passer, which was ridiculous, we all agree with that. But you see, he got absolutely, I mean, you could not have held him more. I mean, just got grabbed around the shoulders and, and nothing, right in front of everybody and nothing. What has this dude done? And guy doesn't get a call ever. I mean, really, I don't care. But it's just noticeable. You go back to this game in week number three here when the Colts won. Kept a drive going, the game-winning drive going, and then a couple of different times last night. It was funny, too. In full disclosure, the hold against him later on in the game in a significant moment of the game was more egregious in a miss than the ridiculous flag throwing for the roughing the passer because at least at least we're becoming, I'm not going to say content with it, but it's becoming more commonplace. And then everybody on the next morning shows have to get up and see who can out-scream one another. Is it going to be Steven and Dog or Shannon and Skip? You know, whatever ESPN does, Fox is like right up the rear, sniffing the rear end, trying to do the same thing but different. <laughs> what are they doing this week? We got to come up with a show just like it. What is it? First take? We'll come up with the a little bit after the first take. Very original. Unique and original idea, consultants. Nah, but seriously, that was a standalone that was worthy of a standalone. Sometimes you don't get it that way. I found myself last night going into Monday Night Football kind of wishing that the Major League Baseball postseason started so I had a bit of an option. But last night it was cool. I didn't need an option, and I didn't have any rooting interest whatsoever. I like Jimmy King, but I don't give a damn if Kansas City wins. Jimmy Cook. Why don't I call him Jimmy King? And Jimmy King went to Ron Colley, too. Sorry, Jimmy Cook. Jimmy King also went to Ron Colley. But, hey, listen, I love Jimmy Cook, but I'm not a Kansas City guy. I don't care anything about the Raiders. But, man, you were invested in that thing last night, were you not? And for a standalone, that's really all you're looking for. If you guys want to hit it, we can at 239-1070. Kind of interesting. Zach Kiefer is going to be here in the 5 o'clock hour. So he was going over things regarding the Colts, and you know, we'll, we'll go over you know what they did as far as trying to help out the offensive line in just a bit. But he had referenced, all right, so what's happened to Dennis Kelly? And if you remember yesterday, I asked a couple of different times, once to Stephen Holder, what is going on with Dennis Kelly? I'm not suggesting he's going to be the end-all, be-all, and the, the stopgap that is going to be an absolute is going to help this woeful offensive line its level of play. But you do kind of wonder what's going on. So Zach Kiefer actually tweeted the question of what's going on and got a response from Dennis Kelly saying, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. So for him to respond to that, you know what's going on. He feels he should be playing, and they don't. That's Now we all know what's going on. 
How long do you think Dennis Kelly sort of stood there and thought, should I really tweet this out? Because you know, you've had it happen before to you where you know you see something and you want to respond, mm. but you think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really yeah. shouldn't. Yeah. And for him to actually send that out to Zach tells you he's pretty frustrated with not playing. Oh, man. I love it. Now we know what's going on there. I love it. But think about it. This offensive line has been awful. I mean, awful. And it's supposed to be not just among the best, but the best. Let's just say it like it should be. And it's been awful. And, you know, if you're sitting there and you're healthy and you're ready to rock, and then you're in a short week, and uh, evidently between Ballard and Strasser and Reich, they put all these offensive line names in a hat and then picked names out and said, you guys are going to go here. Um... (laughs) And his name wasn't picked, I guess. No, again, I'm not suggesting that he is a guy that can fill a need. You just wonder why it hasn't been talked about or brought up. Because we saw, we've seen the evidence and the results of trying to do something new. Stephen Holder talked about, well, you know what? You just can't sit around. You got to do something new. Yeah, they did something new last week. It was worse. Bravo. Much worse. But you do kind of wonder. We'll talk to Zach Kiefer about that coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Um, I did mention the analytics guy, Ben Brown, who is a great dude and takes everything in stride. I'm going to ask him to go. Hopefully he's listening right now and he knows what is about to come at him. I'm going to ask him to go to the official PFF data scientist chart and explain to me in full detail why in the world last night it made any ounce of sense to go for two with 427 left in the fourth and an extra point away from tying the game. I've got to ask why. Uh, That and the numbers, and you guys all hate me for doing this, but I have to ask, and deep down inside, you truly want to know but I have to ask. I have to ask about the numbers, the latest numbers on the Colts' offensive line. And we'll go over the numbers with the rearranging of the deck chairs on the offensive line Titanic as of last Thursday. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The prior at right tackle, the Smith at right guard, Pinter being in there for a while for an injured Kelly. The complete and utter Quentin Nelson experience at left guard. And then, of course, Bernard Ryman, the rookie starting at left tackle, who looked like that he was living a nightmare and wanted to barf all in one. Uh, Ben Brown will break that down and all the other numbers that you guys either will want to hear or won't want to hear coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Sectional pairings took place. I mentioned this yesterday, too. They took place on Sunday. We'll talk to Greg Rakestraw about that. Interesting college weekend coming up, but a good one from this past weekend. A good one for the Boilermakers. Not so good for IU. You got Big Ten Media Day. It's almost like it's out of sight, out of mind. I don't even know if I've seen very much. Now, Matt Painter came out today and said, all right, I wish Matt would have been the first one to say, you know what, our entire offseason really did suck, and I have no idea other than the expectation that we're going to be good. He made a comment about every coach at all those gatherings saying the same thing, and they do. 
I just don't know if you have another option. But it would be unique and organic if one did step up and say, yeah, you know what, our offseason kind of sucked a little bit. Didn't go the way that we wanted. You know, my guys are so supposed to be in there voluntarily and working out. Caught a couple at a couple of bars, a couple of parties. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know what summertime is like in Bloomington? Yeah, guys want to stay on campus. I don't know how much they found themselves over in Cook Hall. Not the real stuff. One of these days, that may be cool. I don't know how well that would go over for the coach, but it may be cool for us who have heard uh, this song and dance for a long period of time. But we'll talk about that with Greg coming up here at the bottom of the hour. Um, all right, you guys have asked about Bullseye. I've got to ask Kyle Kinnett because I'm assuming we'll have some Bullseye passes to give away. This is a week leading up to a Colts home game. That's with Jacksonville, which is a large one coming up on Sunday. I'll tell you all about that and more coming up. The app is working. It is strong inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Thank you very much, as always, for not only hanging in there and listening and watching, but all the participation is fantastic. you got the stream. As I mentioned, the app, HD Radio, and we're going to be back with you next, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. I got nowhere else to go. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Yeah, I see where Brett Favre is going to the first page of the A-hole playbook right here. What do you do? Who do you blame? Never yourself, and you never own it, right? Even though there are text messages. That's the first page right there of the A-hole playbook. Make yourself the victim. Blame somebody else. That's what happens. That's where we are. That's been going on for a while, though. Oh, it's not my fault. That's somebody else's fault. I've been smeared by the media. I didn't send pictures of my, you know, to her. <laughs> I didn't do any of that. Be like Porky's. Can you identify it, sir? <laughs> Don't let me get into Porky's here in a comparison with that old school thing, too. It's not my fault. There's no picture. Well, there are text messages, but that's okay. That's not me. Outstanding. Is Greg ready? Greg, are you there? Why is it got a circle with a line through it right here? Oh, there he is. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Greg Rakestraw joins us. Hello, Greg. Hello, sir. I, I, apparently, Kyle had not put the phone back on the hook on his end. So I just I just hold, heard some sort of old man yelling at clouds type rant from like a distance. <laughs> I saw a circle with a line through it. I did not know what that meant. I think that means that my phone call has been banned by the proper authorities. I think what that means is, hey, go ahead and go for two with four and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter Man. down one. Right. That's what that some, means. Some amazingly smart people do some really dumb stuff when it comes to two point plays in the National Football League, don't they? Well, I mean, and then the, you listen to people that are, I guess, even more dumb for filling your head with that particular idea from a spreadsheet. Right. 
And I'm not going to lie, Andy Reid's call to go for a two and he's up by seven, to me, is no smarter. Right. So for all the crap that we want to give Josh McDaniels in Indianapolis, and rightfully so, a guy that is a bona fide Hall of Famer, one of the best NFL coaches to do it, I thought his decision to go for two at 30-23 was equally dumb. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw who joins us. we got a lot to get to as well. Um, Dennis Kelly, I saw Zach Kiefer had a tweet a little bit earlier today asking about, hey, you know, what, what's happened, you know, because the Colts made an offensive line move today and was wondering what's going on with Dennis Kelly. And then Dennis Kelly kind of retweeted back wondering the same thing. I'm not <laughs> suggesting at all he's a stopgap or he's going to be any better than what we have seen. But it, it, it would seem to me that you go as far as they did in a short week into Thursday night and change things up, that you could put him in there as some sort of option. You have any idea why? That's a great question. Uh, and I don't know if they don't feel he's fully healthy yet. And I speculated this, you know, yesterday that, hey, he has now – you know, kind of fit the amount of time in four or five weeks that he would have had in training camp, knowing he did not take a single snap in training camp. So if you're worried about that, there you go. Obviously, he was brought in to be the Chris Reed, the Joe Haig, uh, being the guy that's a 10 or 11-year NFL vet. And so who knows? Um, tomorrow, you know, obviously today was the day where the, the coordinators talk, players day off. Frank Reich and players will talk tomorrow and I imagine that might be a question or topic of conversation when Frank gets the media up again shortly after noon tomorrow. So, Greg, I had you – know, obviously, we always do in the Colts' pregame huddle have Rick Venturi on, and he mentioned a couple of different things, and it was kind of like what they did with the exception of he wanted Pryor at right guard and thought Smith should have stayed at right tackle. I guess we can concentrate on that. Did that move make a lot of sense to you there? The only sense I can make of it is, is that Braden Smith is not fully healthy. And so the thought is is that you know he's still one of your five best offensive linemen, but you put him at a right guard position and perhaps um, you know he so, something that would impede his lateral movement, he'd be better off at the right guard spot. Um, maybe it was something about the particular matchup uh, where they felt they wanted him lined up more over a defensive tackle than, say, a defensive end. That's the only sense I can make of it. Um, Matt Pryor has the size of a tackle. I think he has the athleticism of a guard. Uh, and so it would not surprise me at some point this week, next week, whatever, if those two guys are flipped. Again, that's not inside information. That's me trying to make two plus two equal four. Yeah, reportedly the Colts made a move to the practice squad in, in Ty Nasiki, I believe you pronounce his name that way, with the Cowboys a year ago. And, you know, you, you do that, and they're just kind of thinking about again, and we'll ask Zach this in the 5 o'clock hour. This, again, Dennis Kelly, I'm not suggesting he's going to be anything great, but you're seemingly trying everything else. I guess we just kind of wonder why not him too. Exactly. and, and I'll, But I'll also say this. I'm also, I'm also okay with running it back in the same five that you had out there last Thursday for this reason. You did that on a short week. You put those five together, and you gave them two walkthroughs, no real practices, to try to get it right. And if you said, all right, now we've got you know practice on Monday, practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and this group has played together in a game – should we give this group one more try in this formation? 
I can live with that too, John, for that for that reason, because you have so much more practice time this week. Greg, with all the respect in the world, I would have to disagree. There's no way you can roll Matt Pryor out there at right tackle. No way. Not against Jacksonville and edge pressure coming up on Sunday. I mean, you might as well, not, Matt, you might as well just have Matt Ryan fall to the ground every time he snaps the ball. I'm not going to fight you on that either, but I understand the logic behind it. We'll, <laughs> well, no, and I get what you're talking about too. I just, I, it's almost like you're you're running out of options here. And if Kelly isn't an option, or it's, um, yeah, you're you're in, in dangerous territory. Let's say, right? Agreed. And and again, I you're. You know, you are always the first to go to must-win category. Um, yes, I'll beat you to the punch on this one. You have to, you have to win this one. Oh, you this. absolutely, and, and for and for all the struggles you have had against Jacksonville on the road, you largely have had their number at home. And and last year, the Colts of the Jaguars at home, and the game wasn't close. Now, is this a better Jacksonville team this year? Yes, even with their loss to the Texans last week. So this is one you have to have because. You know, we have talked about the saving grace of being in the AFC South. Well, if you lose this one, you lose the tiebreaker to the Jaguars. Uh, I can't even tell you who the Titans are playing this week. But if you were to lose and they are and they win, now you're a game and a half back, and you know the best you can do is split with the Titans. You absolutely have to win this game on Sunday if you're Indianapolis. Greg Rakestraw's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Were you with me thinking that had that not been a short week, Jonathan Taylor would have given it a go, and yep. thus I'm I'm, I guess I'm not that worried that he will play or in this case won't play coming up on Sunday. You agree? I have always been of that opinion. You know, of the injuries that occurred during the game and before the game last week, that Jonathan Taylor was the most likely to play this coming Sunday. Uh, that Quiddy Pay is the least likely to play. And again, um, I, I do think there's probably an, a short-term IR move uh, that is coming for Quiddy um, because I think it's going to be a four- to six-week injury, you know, on that ankle by, by all accounts that we've been told. And then the other guys are kind of somewhat negotiable in the middle. But, yes, I thought if that was a Sunday game, 28th out there on the field. Greg Raystraw is with us. Anything significant in your eyeballs over the weekend in college football? And it looks like the Boilers are on a bit of a run that they really needed to get on this time of year, correct? Correct. And what's crazy is is that we can pay lip service and talk about, hey, they're tied for first in the, in the Big Ten West. And, again, do I think whoever wins the Big Ten West has a shot of being Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game? No. But is it an accomplishment to play at Lucas or in the Big Ten championship game? Yes. But I actually went and then looked at what the schedule looks like for Purdue. And I may not have these dates accurate, but let me say this out loud, and that will hopefully give you some resonance as to why you go, holy crap, Purdue has a chance to play in the Big Ten championship game. The remaining schedule is Nebraska, Illinois, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Indiana, and I would assume Iowa, that would be whom is left. And when you just say those names out loud, you go, oh, my God, Purdue's got a chance to win the Big Ten West. And that, you know, Illinois, I think, has the best overall record in the Big Ten West at 5-1 and one, because they haven't lost since somehow, someway letting Indiana beat them in the season opening game on that Friday night in Bloomington. So thought that was a huge win for Purdue on Saturday. And the fact that we can legitimately have the conversation they might they might be playing in the Big Ten championship game. That is a big stinking deal for Jeff Brown's program. Man, no doubt about that. All right, so Sunday the sectional pairings for high school football came out. What stood out to you, Greg? 
What stood out to me was the fact that, you know, you, you had some, some entertaining first-round matchups, you know, for the teams that are playing next week. Tri-West and Danville, although Danville's a little bit down from what they have been. New Pal and Mount Vernon, I'm not sure anybody other than Ron Colley has a legitimate shot at, at New Pal this year. You know, then once you get to the 6A and 5A guys, knowing that Ben Davis and Brownsburg play each other off the jump and that Carmel and Westfield play each other off the jump, those are the ones that, that stood out to me in terms of, you know, first game out of the shoot. And we've got some real good matchups in both weeks one and weeks two. All right. We're kind of in the same ballpark age-wise. Were you a watcher of murder, she wrote, back in the day? Uh, mom was, which meant that dad was. Usually when I heard Pat Summerall say murder, she wrote, it was time to go do homework. Me too. That was usually about yeah. that time. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if it wasn't then, it was when you when you heard the, the watch start clicking for 60 minutes, <laughs> that's when you bailed right there. So, yeah, and I, I think you're right. Because Angela Lansbury, who's legendary, passed away today at the age of 96, and certainly for a lot in our age bracket, uh, most noted for being a part of Murder, She Wrote, and probably even more noted for that to sports fans because it was always the show that came on after the late game and after 60 Minutes on CBS every Sunday night. Couple of things, um, actually three things. Yes. A, I had no idea Angela Lansbury was still alive. That is news to me. Not that she passed away, but she was still amongst the living. Uh, listen, I hope yeah. that that happens to me. I hope everybody forgets that I'm still alive. Uh, that's a good. God. That means you live a long damn time, right there. I hope that happens God to bless me. Angela, forget to '96. Uh, <laughs> life well lived. There. Uh, B. Uh, I love that we have somewhat rehashed the power of social media. Almost like the inside joke that it became for Pat Summerall to see how long of a pause he could have between murder and she wrote. <laughs> so if you go back and you watch any of those clips, like you might get to like seven, eight, nine. I mean, you're like letting it breathe. Murder. She wrote uh, on the reads that Pat would do, you know, teasing the Sunday night CBS lineup. But the other thing that I would say, being the father of a girl that is very much into uh, the music, arts, drama, junior theater, et cetera, Angela Lamb Lansbury is also the voice of Mrs. Potts. And my daughter got to play one of those roles in her school musical this nice. past year. So when I think of Angela Lansbury, that's what comes to my mind as well. That is awesome. Yeah, a 265-episode run. For murder, she wrote back in the day. I want to say it started originally back in 19, maybe 84 or something like that. So, yeah. And I was a Bears fan. So, I mean, you had a lot of one o'clock games as a Bears fan. But in that time frame, basically, you know, 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, the Bears would play a lot of those late games. So you would transition, you know, from a CBS Bears game uh, at the end to 60 minutes and then murder, she wrote. So, yeah. That's John, I grew up in a non-NFL market, and I grew up in a four-channel household. I was just happy when sports were on TV. So whenever CBS <laughs> had the 4 o'clock game, believe me, I was hearing Pat and John break it down and listening to murder. She wrote teases all throughout the second half. <laughs> it's Greg Rakestraw with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Always a pleasure, man. We'll check in with you coming up on Sunday. All right, see you, pal. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw with us. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live, Lickety says I'm medically obese. Is that true? Do I look medically obese right here? I think I look pretty good. What do you think? Want to chime in on that?
Is Lickety the same one that called you Fat Dracula? Probably, yeah. Probably. See, sometimes you wonder, you go, why do you try to draw me in to this place? You talk about the lounge all the time. Why do you draw me in? Because I don't care if they, like, I don't care if that happens. Ah, it's entertaining. Medically. Yeah, Fat Dracula, I think you got me on that one, too. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live, you can join us and enjoy a lot of that conversation. And most of it is going to be directed at me. And that's exactly how it should be. By the way, you notice the old school, one of the greatest logos in the history of sports would be the old oil derrick of the Houston Oilers back in the day. And that is the T-shirt that we're rocking this afternoon in studio. And you can see it via YouTube Live. Participate, watch, listen, all that. Top of the hour. We're going to try to explain, at least to you and to me, the significance of the call last night. The analytics spreadsheet said and told 11th hour to go for two with 430 left, down one at Arrowhead to Kansas City. We're going to find out a little bit more from our resident data scientist from PFF, Ben Brown, top of the hour. Zach Kiefer will help us answer the question, why not Dennis Kelly? Because I think Dennis Kelly also would like to have an answer to that question. Zach's going to join us in the 5 o'clock hour. Quick break and we'll come back. 93.5107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. I want savages on the field. I want to lead the league in broken ribs. I want to put people in the hospital legally. No hitting in the head. I want them to cry and be scared to play us. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Greg Rakestraw a little bit earlier. Zach Kiefer, the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, road shows Thursday and Friday. I will explain how you can join us, how you can win, how you can be a part of both Thursday and Friday shows coming up in a bit. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, you're watching Inside the Lounge via YouTube Live. Check it out. Participate. If you have any questions, lob them in here because the data scientist from PFF, our friend Ben Brown, every Tuesday joins us here in the 4 o'clock hour. I'm assuming you were watching Monday Night Football last night, so what on what dip blank spreadsheet might it say go for two with 430 left down one on the road if you were 11th hour McDaniels last night? What the hell spreadsheet? Whose spreadsheet is that? I I don't I honestly uh, I don't think that it lives on any spreadsheet to be honest with you. I think analytics is catching strays from poor decision making is kind of the crux of the overall issue i would say right oh, i, I love you're that, coming to the defense of analytics here i love it continue ben please go <laughs> <laughs> because i would say analytics isn't this straightforward decision every single time that there's some sort of situation to always be aggressive i think that it you know there's there's certain situations that coaches come into and they make a decision and no matter what decision they make someone's going to say well that's an analytics decision it's not necessarily an analytics decision on both sides of the equation. Uh, I think what the, the term is, is analytics is much more of like a framework in which to evaluate your decision. And, and in doing that, you have some sort of variable that you are trying to maximize anytime you're trying to make any sort of decision. That variable in football, for example, is, is most of the time win probability. So when you come to a fork in the road as far as what decision you should make on the football field, there's, there's, there's really a couple sides to each equation. And that evaluation process, I would say, is analytics and not so much 
uh, not so much the decision uh, it, at that point in time can't be analytics on both sides of the equation or it can't be correct analytics on both sides of the equation. There's, there's a right and a wrong answer. And I would say last night specifically, both coaches – uh, made the wrong answer as far as their two-point decision-making process. Right, and obviously Andy Reid's call was much less significant because they went on and won the game, but the one that stood out was from 11th hour right there, and that's, you know, yep. really, you look at it, that moment didn't make a lot of sense, although the broadcast said if you look at the card or the sheet or whatever, however they referenced this, they, they said that, that that was the play or a play under those circumstances. So I, I guess that's the reason why analytics is taking those strays is because of the broadcast and what they said. Yeah, and, and I, honestly, I, I agree with you 100%. I do think it paints it in a really bad light, but there's no model, at least as far as that I've developed, that would ever say to go for two in that situation, facing off. Uh, you know, against the best quarterback in the world with and giving him so much time to kind of counterpunch that one attack. You're only up one point at that point in time. Just go tie the football game and, and play it out, and maybe you'll get the ball back. But uh, I, I think going for it there to try and win the game with four and a half minutes left is just uh, an egregiously poor decision. And I do, th- do think you see that play out, you know, from a win probability standpoint with, 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 with the effect that that had overall on that game. Ben Brown of PFF, the data scientist with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. A, a quick Colts note before I get back to Ben. They've signed defensive tackle Chris Williams to the 53-man from the practice squad, placed wide receiver Ashton Doolin on the IR and have signed, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I believe his name is Ty Nishiki to the practice squad he is an offensive tackle but obviously the big news right there is wide receiver ashton doolin and uh, special teams ace as well uh well ashton doolin going to the ir we'll talk about that in a bit ben brown rejoins us now all right so matthew stansbury inside our lounge via youtube live right here i asked him to lob in some questions wanted me to ask you to give a brief overview on how you guys calculate what percent of the line play contributes to the running game i.e yards slash carries etc you get that question yeah, I definitely do. And I do think, you know, it, it, it is a really interesting question. The, the thing that we do is we've tried to basically create a, um, like a metric that that quantifies like the expectation for each rushing yard. And that folds in, you know, the context of the play as far as, you know, down distance, uh, yards to go to the goal line, even like the time-based factors as far as how much time's left in the game. All those things go into bake in, you know, some sort of – straightforward league-wide expectation for how successful that run's going to go. And then you can also fold in things like, you know, the specific scheme or, or, or play design, whether that's inside zone, outside zone, counter, all of these things. And, and we can get a pretty accurate understanding of how, how successful, you know, offensive lines have been previously uh, in those types of situations. And then we can judge, you know, based on where initial contact happened, you know, for that particular ball carrier, how successful was that individual offensive line unit on that particular play? And then we can kind of grade them out, you know, based on how they do over a large sample size when taking all those things into account. So I would say it's very much, you know, scheme and, and situation dependent, uh, but there is definitely, you know, situations where the offensive line has, you know, much more influence and much, much, much more directive over how successful that run play is 
uh, than, the, than the running back in any particular one play. Ben Brown goes over the Colts numbers and the NFL numbers from PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Is there a way that you can separate the previous offensive line of the Colts numbers and compare that to when they made those changes on Thursday night? Do you have that capability right now and how those numbers played um, out? I I could look it up here. I'd have to know the specific timing of it. I, I it's something I could definitely run and look at and uh, you know send to you guys. Yeah, to I'm just, I was gonna. I, I didn't know if it, like that that, that was going to be a lot, and I didn't ask you before this, and I was just kind of curious if you had it. So we'll, we'll go ahead and just keep them lumped together right now, even though they made the changes. Of course, you saw it on Thursday night, and literally one of the worst games of all time with the Colts getting a win is the only way it has any redeeming quality whatsoever was that win. But the offensive line, they made significant changes. They moved Matthew Pryor from left tackle to right tackle. They moved Braden Smith from uh, right tackle inside to right guard and then had Ryan Kelly go out during the game with an injury. They brought Danny Pinter in and then, you know, the standby there was, was Quentin Nelson and Bernard Ryman, the rookie left tackle, got his first start and really kind of looked like he was going to be not out there for a variety of points during that game so you add that offensive line play compared to the previous weeks of offensive line play where does this line rank right now among those in the nfl yeah it's it was really bad it was by far their worst performance in the nfl or worst performance you know per week on a pass blocking basis also on a run blocking basis so definitely not uh, you, you know, the, the the output that you would want from that offensive line, especially given how much they're honestly paid. But uh, it is still, you know, one of the worst offensive lines overall was, you know, with their really bad performance, um, you know, last week, I think we have them from, you know, a pass blocking perspective. Um, looking at it right here, we have them um, uh, 27th, basically, out of 32 NFL teams, uh, you know, really high uh, pressure rate, I think it's at like 28.4%, which uh, I think ranks, you know, 14th, I guess, which isn't, you know, egregiously high, but also they've been in, you know, uh, a number of running down situations to the point where maybe they've had some impact on the pressure situations. But yeah, 27 uh, overall in pass blocking grades through the first five weeks of the season that had, you know, by far the worst unit wide performance throughout the whole game in week five, I do think it would be very interesting to look at, you know, some of the splits and adjustments when they were actually made. Yeah. Um, we could look at it by, you know, quarter type situations. If it happened, I'm not sure, you know, exactly when it happened, but uh, you know, the first and second quarters were uh, really, really bad. I think it was like a 22.4 overall grade. And then it did increase to, you know, 43.4 in the second half of that game. So it definitely did get better. Uh, but still, you know, you're starting off on ground zero there, and you're only really moving to first base in that in that regard. Do you uh, have individual numbers for uh, each player this past weekend? Because you know, the Matthew Pryor stuff and uh, left tackle was bad enough, and then at right tackle he gave up um, yeah, nine hurries, I believe, uh, nine rushes, I think was the number on Thursday night. And it would seem like that as far as right tackles would be concerned in week five, it'd be tough to find anybody that ranked any lower than he did. Yeah, he had a he had a seventeen point four pass blocking grade in week five, which was you know really really bad uh, pressure. Nine yeah. total pressures, basically yeah. a lot of pressure on like you know eighteen percent of his dropbacks. So it was uh, 
as bad as it can possibly get. That might be, you know, I'm looking towards the end of my data set. Uh, I, I don't think it's not only, you know, the lowest grade from a tackle perspective uh, that we had in had in week five, it might be the lowest grade that we've had, you know, uh, on the whole season, basically, in any particular week. So I'll look at that uh, right now and see if I can actually get that number here quickly. But it was, um, you know, from a total snap play percentage, uh, by far the lowest number uh, for all tackles. Or not but not by far the lowest number, but uh, it, it, it was basically Matt Pryor and Brandon Shell had two grades you know, in, in the team, basically, and everyone else is at least at, you know, 27.9 pass blocking grade or above. So uh, I, was, I, I hear you scrolling uh, really right big, there. What? Okay, compare the 17. Really, really bad. The, the 17 grade at right tackle you had for prior compared to who was the highest grade. Who was the highest grade on Sunday? Or this past week, I should say. That, that me. Uh, I heard you scrolling. I didn't know if it would be easy for you to wheel that thing back to the top of the list. All I do is scroll. So the highest grade was uh, Braden Smith at at, at at right guard, basically. Okay. For, well, hold on. Let me let me uh, let me look at it one more second. So he was. Uh, yeah, uh, Braden, was Braden Smith, Smith was the highest graded high. among those Colts offensive linemen this past week. Yep, yep. And he was basically just a just a hair below what we would say is you know average pass blocking grade or average offensive grade for an offensive lineman uh, last week. Yeah, we've been at a point where I think that they have taken the average grade and probably compared to what you saw on Thursday night would take that average grade again. There have been some talk about what to do. If I were them, I would go ahead and just go Braden Smith back to right tackle and and kind of take it because there's no way I would trot right. out Matthew Pryor against the edge rushing capabilities of Jacksonville and that incredibly important game on Sunday. And, and they probably stick with Ryman at left tackle and hope that he looks a little bit better. But, yeah, it doesn't seem like that they're coming up with a lot of answers right here, you know? Right. I, I, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's unfortunately like a really tough situation to be into. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the goal has to be finding a replacement for Matt Pryor, I think. And offensive line is such a weak link system. If you can find somebody that can fill in, yeah. uh, you know, for him at that position and provide anything, you know, that, that, that will hopefully, you know, increase the entire output for the, along the whole offensive line. It's, you know, kind of the hope and goals. Filling the one-week link, plugging that one bad hole, uh, should hopefully alleviate the rest of them as well. It's uh, Ben Brown, the PFF data scientist, every Tuesday right here with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, before you grade out the entirety of the offense, give us the grade of the quarterback, Matt Ryan, this past Thursday night. I mean, it was, you know, once again, uh, as pretty much as bad as, you know, you would expect. Basically, this was his, um, you know, lowest passing grade of the season. They continue to get lower. He's at 53.7 for the year now, 42.2 overall passing grade in week five. Um, You know, no big time throws, three three plays that we would consider turnover worthy. Um, You know, obviously two of those got home. So it was um, as you know, kind of as bad as expected, not, not really, you know, moving the football downfield whatsoever. I think it was the second lowest average depth of target game. Uh, thankfully, you know, had a decent completion percentage and adjusted completion percentage. A lot of that because of, uh, you, you know, the rookie rookie wide receiver and Alex Pierce, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, once again, not necessarily the performance that you think you're going to win, 
with the guy long term, I would say. All right. So who was numbers wise worse on Thursday night, Matt Ryan or Russell Wilson? The, old, the only player in the NFL that was worse in week five than Matt Ryan from a passing perspective who played at least 10 snaps or had 10 dropbacks was Russell Wilson. Nice. Maybe that's the reason uh, they won the game. Uh, but it was, uh, yeah, the only thing that Wilson had that uh, Wilson did have a one, uh, one big time throw, basically, which we would classify as, you know, uh, an NFL caliber throw that went above and beyond expectation. But outside of that, lower adjusted completion percentage, uh, you know, couldn't hit the broad side of the barn really uh, when it's all said and done was much worse from a passing perspective, four turnover worthy plays compared to Matt Ryan's three. So it was, you know, every bit as ugly as we're remembering it now on Thursday night, I thought I'd move past the horror of what, what we saw, but yeah. uh, now it's all coming rushing back to me now. Thank yeah. You. We're kind of in the, in that same spot. And, and listen, I understand why they felt the need to change some things up, but the way they changed it up seemingly made it worse. And now, you know, now you kind of show everybody that you're really, really scrambling. I guess everybody knew with the level right. of play that we have seen, but now you really show everybody that you're scrambling. And that doesn't seem good against the Jacksonville team. If you wouldn't mind to look at Jacksonville uh, numbers-wise, how good have they been through the first five weeks of the season at getting after the quarterback? We saw them really good. In week number two down in Jacksonville, has that bared out consistently with that defensive group? Yeah, definitely. They've been, uh, I would say, you know, better than expected from a pass rush pass rushing perspective. I think the the key to them, you know, defensively is that they they're not forced to, uh, you know, manufacture pressure. I would say in in a fake way, which is you know, blitzing on a high number of downs. They don't really blitz a lot. Even when they don't blitz, they can get pressure and can get after the quarterback. So. Uh, we have them basically uh, 11th, 11th best pass rush uh, rate uh, compared to dropbacks in the NFL through five weeks of the season. I should look at uh, you know where they were at on a per week basis. Uh, I think would be kind of an interesting thing to look at because you said you know you, you obviously remember the week uh, you know week three with the Chargers game they were at you know that was their highest pressure rate of the season at 44 percent. I do think if you know we see. Uh, you know, Matt Ryan under pressure on 44% of dropbacks. Uh, it's going to be a really long day for the Indianapolis Colts. So uh, need to get that, you know, within the, the league average of 33% or even less. Uh, Jacksonville last week had a 34.6% pressure rate and then 27.3%. Uh, 20, so I think they have kind of dropped off from, you know, an early season high in weeks two and weeks three uh, with the Chargers, especially. I think they had a, you know, week two, week two against the uh, Colts, right. 38.9%. So that was the, that was the high point. Um, and, and they have dropped off from there, but you know, the outlook coming from the Indianapolis Colts doesn't really necessarily assure me that uh, it, it's nothing more than a wall from the Jacksonville Jaguars side of things. Ben Brown of PFF on the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. Now you mentioned that among those with, significant numbers of passes in week five. Russell Wilson was at the absolute bottom. However, we can look at it this way. How much was it with this Colts D? Because in particular, I thought that they played well, and especially Stephon Gilmore, because I thought we saw Stephon Gilmore for the reason why they went out and got him. No matter what you want to say about Russell Wilson or that broke-down-looking Broncos offense, that guy was brought in to make plays and to make plays in winning time. That's exactly what he did this past Thursday night. 
Yeah, very and, and very much so, right? And I, and I think the grades definitely show up from that. Uh, you know, Stefan Gilmer, 90.3 PFF coverage grade in week five. I think that would basically be, you know, the highest in the NFL uh, at that particular position. So it was, uh, you know, all that and more. And I, and I definitely agree with you. And I think, you know, through the first five weeks of the season, Gilmore has been exactly what they needed. Now they're finally starting to get, uh, you know, the rest of the defense to kind of come along with him and with his playmaking ability uh, and, and some pressure situations happening, you know, from, from the front four, like they are once again, a very good defensive unit and they can probably beat, you know, a, a number of these teams that aren't upper echelon teams, mainly with their defense. Right. And they probably don't need a whole lot from, you know, Matt Ryan in the passing game, especially if, it, if Jonathan Taylor is, you know, making players miss in the open field and actually getting some, you know, uh, you know, yards after contact type situations. So I, I think, you know, Gilmer has been way better than expected. Maybe one of the best, you know, you know, off season acquisitions uh, that we've had on the defensive side of the ball. I think if you want to compare him to, you know, a guy like JC Jackson, who is the highly coveted, you know, cornerback coming from new England, going to Los Angeles has graded out really, really poorly. Hasn't had anywhere close to the impact. Uh, you know, on that particular Chargers unit that Stephon Gilmore's had for the Indianapolis Colts. So I think, you know, overall, if you're evaluating any individual signing on the defensive side of the football, you know, Stephon Gilmore, especially for what they paid for him, uh, is giving more than enough production and is playing at, you know, one of the better points of his career, I would say. And I'd have to ask you this. There was a lot of question, you know, as to why the Colts would go out and do that because of the age, you know, coming off of, of some injuries, just kind of wondering, and you know, to this point, I, I think it, it, you know, a game or two like that, and you understand why. That's what I gathered more than anything else on Thursday night. You know, Ben, I looked at it, and Definitely. I thought that's exactly why. You know, as much crap as I give Chris Ballard around here for decision making, that's exactly why he made the decision in the secondary on that guy, and it paid off big. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, it, it does fit with the rest of their offseason moves. This was a team that, you know, very much believed, uh, you know, whether whether that was right or wrong, that they were kind of a quarterback away from contending with a lot of these teams in the AFC. And I think if you believe that, Stefan Gilmore is kind of the perfect fit, especially if you, you know, you, you trade away a guy like Rocky Sin, who, you know, wasn't necessarily anywhere close to a coverage player as Stefan Gilmore is. And you can get, you know, the, the situational edge rusher in Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, and, and Gilmore provides so much more from a coverage perspective than Rocky Sin ever did. That elevates your defense once again. And I do think if you were, you know, looking at it last year with them being a top five unit, the, the one weak spot was kind of having uh, a prototypical shutdown cornerback. And I do think that, you know, Stefan Gilmore, uh, for all intents and purposes, even with his age, uh, is very much that through the first five weeks of the season. All right, be honest. You stuck me with that situational rusher thing right there with Ngakwe, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, that I was, was, that I was mean, a purpose. That was a purpose pitch right there. I know it was. Didn't he have a sack? Didn't he have a sack last week or was that yeah. two weeks ago? But well, I, let me tell I, you I this. No, I, it was. I will tell you, you were absolutely right when you called him rotational because if you want him out there and expect him to play against the run, you might as well forget about it because he's going to struggle tackling you. 1.5 sacks on – yeah, he had 1.5 sacks on a Thursday night, basically. No, but I, you, 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 you stuck me with that. You didn't say rotational. But you you kind of stuck. No, you and you've been right too because that, that that's exactly how he has looked. And really, I mean, they're subbing in and out though. He's he's coming in 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 those you know absolute belief of a passing situation. Now they're kind of adjusting to what they have right. seen with him early this season. I would guess right. right. That's the way it looks on the field to me. 
Yeah, and I, and I definitely agree. And, you know, he dropped down basically, you know, 14, uh, you know, pass rush uh, snaps basically in week four against Tennessee back up to 33. So definitely coming in and kind of, you know, trying to be the guy to at least generate pressure in those obvious pass down situations. And I think that, you know, that that's really his strength. That's when he's going to be best if he can, you know, kind of stay somewhat fresh throughout the game uh, to the point where he can maybe be the tired uh, offensive lineman in one or two critical leverage type spots. Uh, you know, I think it kind of justifies the trade in a lot of ways. And I do think that he has the talent to at least win in those situations. And it's, you know, I would say pretty uh, respectable coaching to at least identify that and use him in, in, in the right environment and right context. Hey, ben, final thing, too, if you wouldn't mind, because Jacksonville is in town coming up on Sunday. Christian Kirk was fantastic out of the gate. And it appears in the past two games, He's hit a wall. Teams have adjusted defensively or something because the numbers are not comparable in the last two compared to what we had witnessed out of him in the first three. What's happened? Yeah, I mean, I I would say, you know, specifically in week four against uh, the Eagles, he had nine targets or whatever. It had, you know, one one pretty decent chunk play. Uh, but but it's been you know it's been probably more so inconsistencies I would say with Trevor Lawrence at quarterback and I think you know we, we him being this you know high thought of prospect uh, definitely showed a lot of warts in this first year and I think that you know through the first three weeks of the season everyone kind of forgot about that but there are still going to be some inconsistencies with him at the quarterback position I do think that you know the Eagles defense specifically is really good. Uh, so I, you know, expect to see a little bit of a downturn for them in week four. I think, you know, Houston Texans not really thought of, you know, as, as like a quality type defense, but I think, you know, the structure that they have in place with Lovey Smith kind of focusing on that area in the draft do have probably some legitimate, you know, close to being, uh, you know, shut down cornerbacks. Once again, I do think it's probably a little bit more difficult matchup. So uh, I don't necessarily want to completely write off Christian Kirk, you know, already, but I would say, you know, after this week, uh, if it's another quiet one, then uh, then maybe, you know, we were probably too quick to uh, justify that offseason acquisition with the dollars that they spent on him. Is this kind of the moment, though, we really do see? And, and again, on my fantasy football team, I have a crap load of wide receivers, and, and you can kind of see yep. this as well. Uh, an adjustment is really made on guys that are quick and productive out of the gate at that position, and this may be the spots where you really see them their numbers start to tumble a little bit because of those defensive yep. adjustments that are being made. Is that accurate? I definitely think that's accurate. And I do think, you know, that is very specific to a guy like Christian Kirk, who, you know, wasn't being treated but like a number one wide receiver, uh, you know, in this particular Jaguars offense to start the season. And I think you, you probably see, you know, more coverage headed in his direction, especially from a guy like Darius Slay in week four, you start to see, a, you know, the occasional bracket type coverage and those sorts of things. And that definitely impacts, uh, you, you know, his overall production when, uh, you, you know, teams start to realize that he really is going to be, you know, the, the focal point of this passing offense. So uh, I definitely think that, you know, after, you know, a hot start, we definitely see that, you know, type of counter punch from defenses. And it does seem to be, you know, a, a situation where that can be uh, pretty impactful to that player's performance for the next, you know, for our, for basically the rest of the whole season. It's Ben Brown, the data scientist, joins us every Tuesday right here in the 4 o'clock hour from Pro Football Focus, explaining us everything that goes behind the numbers. Any other numbers that you wanted, you came up with that I didn't ask you about? Or we, or we good? I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's really numbers-based, but I do think that, you know, Alex Pierce, 
uh, really went up, I would say, a number of steps in my book. I do think part of that was to do yeah. with, you know, the Naeem Hines injury and how they utilized him on the spot and those sorts of things. I do think Alex Pierce benefited from that being out, but uh, I think he definitely flashed on Thursday, and I think he showed, yes, uh, you, you know, the game that I wasn't necessarily aware of, and I do think that, that you know, makes for uh, a very exciting number two option and, uh, you know, a spot that I was, you know, probably wrong on, honestly, uh, you know, when they first drafted him and also to start the season. So I think, you know, he's an exciting player, exciting prospect. I am, you know, uh, pretty excited about what he's going to be able to produce here, uh, you know, over the rest yes. of the remaining season. And, and now we'll see what the consistency is because obviously, you know, you struggle right. out of the gate. You, you dropped that touchdown pass that was costly against Houston in week one. But obviously he's put a couple of, of good games together. He is certainly becoming a go-to guy as a rookie from Matt Ryan. And now we're going to see how he adjusts because of the adjustment defenses will make to make him more yep. of a focal point here. So that's that's going to yep. be interesting too, especially starting on Sunday. Definitely. Yeah, and I agree. And I do think, you know, Michael Pittman obviously commanded a lot of the attention. Mm-hmm. Hopefully there's still some opportunity for him, but I do think there is definitely going to be, you know, that counter punch uh, when the realization hits that he is actually a person that can separate, you know, at, at any point in his route. So it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what exactly that, what exactly happens with that. But I do think that, you know, the consistency aspect that you speak to is uh, going to be very interesting to watch over the next three weeks of the season. Fantastic, Ben. I appreciate it as always, even with that whole, you know, spot playing uh, rotational yeah. guy kind of remark right there. So that's all right. That's all right. The counter punch, the counter punch. <laughs> all right. You have a good day. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate you. Talk to you next Tuesday. Great show. It's uh, Ben Brown, PFF data scientist every Tuesday right here. Hopefully that answered a lot of your analytical questions. And you could tell he thought that analytics, the field of analytics in sports, took a few strays last night, unfairly so, regarding the 11th hour, head coach 11th hour and his call. With 4.30 remaining to go for two and not, kick the extra point to tie it up good stuff ben brown podcast 107.5 thefan.com so dennis kelly is not getting a shot why zach Kiefer asked that question on twitter a little bit earlier today uh dennis kelly responded with um well he doesn't really know either in a meme form but he really, really doesn't know either. We'll ask Zach that at the top of the hour again. Ashton Doolin with a foot injury is placed on IR, so he's going to miss at least four weeks moving forward here. That is something that we will continue to watch. But on the other side, i got time for you, 239-1070. Your calls for the first time today, 239-1070, inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Let's hear from you, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. I got nowhere else to go. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Greg Rakestraw, Ben Brown, podcast 107.5, thefan.com. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Zach Kiefer, top of the hour from the Athletic Afternoon Baseball. We've got some divisional series, game one's underway. And let me tell you, the wild card theme is real. You get off to a good start because you're already off and running because you played in the wild card. Think about what the Mariners had to go through. Mariners down one in that game two in Toronto. Were they down six? Something like that. Came rolling back and won. Four nothing. Bottom of three in Houston. Phillies, look what they did to the Cardinals. 
Top of nine, seven, three. I mean, they booted Max Freed out there after three and a third. Seven, three Phillies as they're batting now in the top half of the ninth inning. Seven thirty-seven tonight in the American League, the Guardians and the Yankees, Padres and Dodgers. I can't wait for that. Padres are fun as hell to watch. Um, nine thirty-seven for that game one from Dodger Stadium later on tonight. We'll keep you updated on everything. Jared G. writes this, with Doolin out, is it safe to assume that Patman will be brought back up or will it be someone with more special teams experience? Um, Probably part two, I would imagine there, Jared G. That's my guess. We'll talk to Zach about that at the top of the hour, but I think it's reasonable to consider that. Uh, Jamie writes this. I just realized what 11th hour means. I've called him 11th hour for a while. And that's not an excuse or that's not trying to cushion the blow that certainly smarted this organization with that decision, then announcing that decision and then having to find a new head coach, which turned out to be Frank Reich, but 11th hour nonetheless. And it was just a crappy decision last night. MTS writes this, a great segment as always. Thanks for answering my question on the air, Ben. Ben Brown's always really good. Uh, This from a burner account. I'm going to have to read one of these every day. Because I get a burner account started every day. Because Patrick the stud with the (laughs) 0.0 following... And followers, I guess, just wanted me to read this. So I will. You just stir the pot. You say scary Colts be set back not getting another quarterback. They will be set back with a rookie quarterback anyways. When now? Ryan is going to turn it on. Watch. Stop trying to create drama radio. Colts will get to the AFC championship game guaranteed my man started a burner account for that patrick the stud (laughs) i'm gonna tell you what you guys know me and know me very well you continue to send me these pictures of diane parkinson um, one of the ladies of the price is right back in the 80s (laughs) BT wrote, this is why you watched. It was certainly one of the reasons. And Super 70 Sports is right. I mean, you wait around 55 minutes and, you know, hoping that somebody gets the opportunity to bid as a part of a showcase on a hot tub or a boat. Normally that meant good things for us youngsters, our young dudes back in the day. No, seriously, that was... Patrick the Stud cobbled together a burner account to say that. Matthew is at 239-1070. Matthew, thank you very much for the main lobster. I appreciate you. Oh, you're very welcome. Awesome, by the way. Fantastic. And the and the whoopie pies, kids, we're digging. That's well done out of you. Thank you again. No problem. Sorry, I'm eating. <laughs> 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 what would you like to talk about, Matthew? 
Did I hear that Ashton Doolin got injured? He did. He's going to miss a minimum of four weeks with an injured foot. So he's on IR. Dang it. I was really high on him. Yeah. So they'll have to replace not only his position at wide receiver, his position in special teams, and we'll see where they go from there. But, yes, injured reserve. Mm. Awesome. Love it. (laughs) All is well here. You're being sarcastic, Matthew. I can tell. I read your sarcasm. Oh, yeah. Well, anything else you're thinking about? from Maine today, Matthew. How are everybody doing inside the lounge? You know, Lickety said that I was medically obese. That's not very yeah, nice he, of him. Yeah, he's wrong. <laughs> I don't ship lobster to medically obese people. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. More than you know. More than you know. Anything else, Matthew? Um, No, I think that's it for now. Hey, thank you very much as well for being inside the lounge and making sure order is kept in there, okay? I appreciate that. All right, Matthew. Thanks again for the lobster. You're welcome. Matthew in Maine. We've talked about Buxton, Maine before. Buxton, right? Buxton, Maine. Yes. You know the film of which I'm talking. It's on every night, right? Uh, TJ talks Ryan Kelly at 239-1070. TJ, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for taking the call. Hey, it can't be lobster. That's at least $100 to ship that plus the lobster. Oh, man. Let me tell you, Matthew was clutch. Lobster is awesome. Was it enough for you and your family? Uh, that's enough for me. Oh, okay. I know. All it's right. um, I know. That's it's yeah. Cool that's though. kind of uh, yeah. I I think my my kids are are probably cool with that. I think Laney would dig on some crab or lobster, but Blake's not going to go that way. So I think we're all good. I think it's for me. I gave them though. He uh, the the whoopie pies were sent, and I know that uh, you know Blake certainly loved them. So everybody's taken care of. Awesome. Yep. Hey, um, if you can think of it, can you ask Rick? And I'm just thinking in context of getting the five best offensive linemen out there. Yeah. It seems like you can't really release Ryan Kelly until the end of next year because of his contract. And he's not really working out at center at this point. And Ryan's built more like the guard and Danny's built more like the center. No. Can you ask him if it, yes. if he thinks it would work if if you try Ryan Kelly out? I I will I will ask that, but I will tell you this: outside of you know putting Ryan Kelly you know in a right guard position, I would certainly I would certainly right now be willing to go with Pinter at center just from that short sample size that we saw the other night in Denver. If it were me right now, I know Greg Rakestraw mentioned this a little bit earlier. He said he would feel comfortable in starting the same group. I, however, wouldn't against the edge rushing and, and what Matt Pryor uh, was at right tackle. You can't have that. So there's no way. I'd go Braden Smith back to right tackle. If he had to play Pryor, I'd play Pryor at right guard. I would put Penner at center, Nelson at left guard, and then you have to just continue down this path because there's nothing else with the rookie Ryman. That's how I would start it coming up on Sunday. And I know that Ryman's probably going to be eaten alive as well, and that's a scary fact, but I think that's looking at it right now how I would go with this offensive line. All right. Thanks for the phone call. TJ, you call anytime. Thank you, Dave. Hold on. We'll get to you on the other side. We'll take a break and come back. Zach Kiefer, top of the hour. He asked why Dennis Kelly wasn't getting a shot, and then Dennis Kelly responded with, well, he didn't really know why he wasn't getting a shot. We'll talk about that and more. Ashton Doolin to IR.
Zach Kiefer, the athletic top of the hour on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Look at all those ding-dongs. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Greg Raystraw, Ben Brown, podcast 107.5thefan.com. Phillies had to hang on 7-6. Braves had a bit of a rally in the bottom of the ninth inning, but came up short. Best of five NLDS. Philadelphia up a game against the Braves. You know, it's kind of funny. I saw Nick Crawl, who runs, runs the Reds last week, suggest that basically next year is going to be exactly like this past year because they're going to, you know, grow as a team. They're going with the youth movement. <laughs> And, you know, a lot of Reds fans are going, oh, here we go again, just telling everybody they're not going to try to win. They're under $75 million committed in payroll coming up in 2023. And then you got your general manager suggesting that they're building from within. And you probably should expect the same type of season. I know a lot of you around here are going, well, if you're pessimistic about what the Pacers are doing, probably feel the same way. Going, wait a minute. So just let me know when they start winning again. Uh, anyway, at JMV1070, we'll get back to that coming up in a minute. By the way, you got games on going right now in MLB. I'd mentioned that the Mariners 6-2 right now over the Astros. Game one of that ALDS down in Houston, middle of the fourth. Guardians, Yankees, Padres, Dodgers all coming up later on tonight. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline from the Athletic. Zach Kiefer joins us. I found this interesting. You had tweeted out uh, what is somewhat of a mystery if you're paying attention, especially with the woeful look of this Colts offensive line so far this year has been that of Dennis Kelly. You tweeted that out and then got a response in a meme from Dennis Kelly wondering kind of the same thing. So what's going on, you think, as far as Dennis Kelly and this Colts team is concerned here? I think Dennis Kelly wants to know the same thing. And, and I don't blame him. And look, we've asked. Like, everyone's like asking, like, why why, why are you guys asked? Like, we've asked. We've asked every question about this offensive line you can imagine. Look, Dennis Kelly was injured early in camp, missed the, the bulk of camp, came back, has been healthy since, as far as we know. We asked about it last week. Frank said, I really, I'm really glad that Dennis Kelly is here. But it's not like they have a good situation at offensive tackle. Like, it's not like they have anything at offensive tackle right now. They're going to stick with Bernard Ryman, the rookie at left tackle, I thought was better than, the, than probably originally thought last week in Denver. The penalties were bad. A couple of them were spotty calls. But – if you stick with him, what do you do at right tackle? Do you move Braden Smith back? Because if you don't, then you've got two of the highest-paid guards in the National Football League and probably one of the worst offensive lines in the National Football League and then a problem at right tackle because, in my opinion, and I don't think you disagree, John, I don't think anybody out there would disagree, this team cannot keep playing Matt Pryor anywhere on the field. He's the worst player on this roster in terms of guys that are playing, and he's killing them. He is just killing them right now. So – I don't know why they're not playing Dennis Kelly. For for everything I understand, he's healthy, but they are doing everything they can not to play him right now and play a guy, Matt Pryor, who is struggling mightily. And they signed Ty Nitschke today, you know, to bulk up that tackle room to, to help themselves. But, look, this is, this is a very – and what they did last week in, in Denver, this is a very obvious omission. If they're not even willing to say it, it's the reality. They screwed this up terribly in the offseason – 
They thought they could put Pryor at left tackle. They were dead wrong. They thought they could put Danny Pinter at right guard. They were dead wrong. And it's nearly gotten Matt Ryan killed. So that's the reality. And and they're looking for answers. And it's really hard to find answers in the middle of October. So Zach Key for the Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, I have brought this up. And while I'm sure it was outrageous and ridiculous, but I, I had brought this up to you before uh, about, you know, moving Nelson over to left tackle and, you know, to the point where I, I think even Chris Ballard made light of it and laughed at it. And I will say now looking at thinking that Matt Pryor was a solution at left tackle, uh, it, listen, my idea was sure as hell better than the Matt Pryor idea coming from the general manager. So if he's going to laugh about something, he should laugh about his own decision. Should he not? Terrible move. It's, it's, it's solely on the general manager, as far as I'm concerned. And Frank Reich bears blame in this as well. Frank Reich didn't laugh when we asked about that. But believe me, we've asked the Nelson to left tackle question several times. And their thinking was, if you have a Hall of Fame caliber left guard, you keep him at left guard. I agreed at the time. I don't agree now because he's not a Hall of Fame guard right now. He's not playing like it. He's not even playing like a pro bowler right now. That's the reality. Everyone on that offensive line has regressed. They're the worst offensive line in the league. And I have sort of a detailed study that's coming out tomorrow, a story about, you know, the quarterback and his issues and the offensive line and their issues. And some of the stats are really alarming. I don't need to tell Colts fans and your listeners that this offensive line is bad right now. Anybody watching the tape can tell, but you're right. I mean, it, it might have been better if you played left tackle than, than Matt Pryor the first couple games of the season. You know, they're having to force Bernard Ryman in, which they wanted to have to do at some point this season, but they didn't want to do it on a short week with the guy who'd never made a start at that position in this league. And, and they're, just, they're just playing with fire right now. At, at what point does Matt Ryan not get up from one of these hits? I mean, he's a tough dude, and we've seen that. But he's not, as, he's not as big as Carson Wentz. He's not built like Andrew Luck or Jacoby Brissett. And, and this is just playing with fire right now. So this is a mess of their own making, and you're right. I mean, they should have done – to think that they could just roll with Matt Pryor and it would just work out is just – it's just dereliction of duty. I mean, that, you can't just, for lack of a better term, just hope and pray at left tackle, for God's sakes. You just can't do that. They did, and this is the mess that they're in right now. I, Zach Kiefer joins us. Let's go back to last week, short week, and they made significant changes along the offensive line. Why did they draw the conclusion? And I'm assuming it's Frank and Chris and probably Chris Stross are involved in these, these final decisions made before that Denver game to start prior at right tackle, move Braden from right tackle inside to right guard and then obviously if you're going to move prior out of that you're going to go ahead and start the rookie Ryman at left tackle whose idea was that shuffling of the deck and and then why did they come to that conclusion in particularly on the right side Zach yeah I think it was a, a decision that was made by all three of them and I think it's a pretty glaring omission that prior can't handle speed on the edge and look I mean I'm not a football expert but I saw this and I asked the questions in August Matt Pryor struggled big time against Ngakwe in camp. And then when the Lions were here, he struggled big time again with speed on the edge. The Lions have a pretty good defensive front, including the stud rookie Aiden Hutchinson. And and it was just obvious, like you could just tell. And the other player who did not look good against the Lions was Danny Pinter. And 
I've always said this, that you can't get a real feel for how good an offensive line is going to be in training camp. You just can't because they're not playing real football yet. And a lot of players have told me the same thing. I didn't see Ryan Kelly regressing the way he is, and I didn't see Quentin Nelson having the early struggles that he's had. But to answer your question, Matt Pryor, in theory, is more comfortable on the right side. And I've talked to him about this, and there are some intricacies of the position that are just a little bit more comfortable for him on the right side. It wasn't better Thursday in Denver. We all saw that. It's not, it's not going to work on either side right now. The interesting thing, like you said, is to move Braden Smith, who you paid $70 million last year to be your right tackle, who's been really, really dang good at right tackle, to right guard. Does he stay there? Do you move him back to right tackle? He was drafted to be a guard, remember, but he hasn't played like a tackle the last couple of weeks, and it's been very alarming. I mean, I'm, like, it's one thing to miss on Matt Pryor, who's never been a starter in this league consistency. It's another to see Braden Smith just regress the way he has. So that's, that's maybe the most alarming thing. Did they move Smith to accommodate Pryor? Why would you move a, an established starter to accommodate a, a journeyman? That, that's well, risky. Yeah, but, and I, I agree with you. And, again, if you're going to play Pryor, play him at right guard and then keep Smith at right tackle. Was there a, a, a banged-up injury concern that they thought in a short week it would be better off to move Smith as an interior no. lineman on the right side, well, I mean, I, I, I just, it almost was like they picked names the out of a hat. Yeah, it didn't make any sense. And, you know, this, this, was, this was the most substantial offensive line change since week three of the 2015 season when they moved Jack Muhord and they benched Todd Harriman, if you guys remember. What happened that day? Did anything noteworthy happen that day? I hate to bring it up, but it was the day Andrew Luck first hurt his shoulder. So this is where they're at. They're at desperation by doing this with the offensive line, just like they were in 2015 when they knew they couldn't protect their franchise quarterback. The shame of it is when, that, when Chris Ballard came in in 2017, Jacoby Brissett was sacked 56 times. Chris Ballard had some moments where he said, I'm tired of us getting our bleak kicked up front, right? The, the up front, the trenches, that's very, very sacred to Chris Ballard. The problem is the moves don't reflect that, and this offensive line is just startlingly bad. It doesn't excuse some of Matt Ryan's turnovers and his fumbles and his interceptions. We all know that. But I've said this all along, until this offensive line gets fixed, and I'm really not sure it's going to, this team's not going anywhere. Just because they snuck out of Denver doesn't change that. Is there a way that they go with what we saw on Thursday night as the starters and and then consider that for a moment as I finish – my two-part question for you, Zach. Might we see Ryman, Nelson, Pinter, Pryor, and Smith along that offensive line against the Jaguars Sunday? I hear what you're saying. Um, you know, I did talk to Ryan Kelly after the game, and he didn't play the second half, and I asked him how much pain he was in, and the indication I got was it's quite a bit of pain. Now, does that excuse the play? Probably not, but it does explain it a little bit. Can you play prior right now anywhere on the field? Can you hide him a little more at right guard? Yeah. I think everyone out there has seen that Danny Pinter is a pretty capable center right now. And this team had its best runs of the night, Thursday night, when he was in the game late. So I think that's a reality. Do you, do you trust Nelson? Or excuse me, do you trust Braden Smith to go back to right tackle? I think you might have to. Um, we're going to ask some questions this week, and we're going to look to see what we can find out. But Look, this team, the last time they played Jacksonville was absolutely manhandled up front. 
I can run down the numbers for you. They're scary. I mean, they're just straight up scary. 47 pressures, right. um, 31 hits, 21 sacks, the most in the league. I mean, these are numbers that don't even come close to what they've given up the last couple of years. So they need to find a combination. But Danny Pinter and Matt Pryor might be in the equation as well. Now, Zach, I know if Rick Venturi is somewhere listening, he would agree with me right now. Jacksonville in that Week 2 game defensively ran so many stunts and twists, and a lot of those ended up going through the interior of the offensive line, you know, going to either side of, of Ryan Kelly, you know, really going up against the guard position. So I, I get what you're thinking regarding prior. I mean, I – this might be even even worse of a scenario for him if you put him anywhere on the field, and, and even in this case, at right guard as a starter. This is the problem. This is the bed they've made. This is this is an, this is in my story that's coming out tomorrow. It's not that they ignored the problem, but you let a guy like Chris Reed go in free agency, and you'd kill to have him right now. And you let a guy like Mark Lewinsky, who was undervalued here, you let him go in free agency. And I understand that they can't pay everyone. And Jack Doyle matters in this equation a lot, too. The reason they haven't had as many big runs is because 84 isn't there, and they're starting to call him the best-blocking tight end in the, in the league. They, did, they didn't say that last year, but they're saying that now that they don't have him. But this is the reality. You know, that's, that's six of the six linemen, if you include the tight end. That's three guys that are gone from last year. And Eric Fisher, for all of his problems last year at left tackle in pass protection, watch the tape. He was a really, really good run blocker, and that's why JT ran for 1,800 yards. So – to just kind of say we can just plug and play and we'll just figure it out, it didn't work. They were dead wrong, and they're paying the price for it right now. Zach Key for the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Ashton Doolin was placed on IR. He'll miss a minimum of four games, I believe, with a foot injury. What is the latest there? And uh, I know that you haven't been able to talk to anybody about this injury just yet, but uh, what, what's your thought on is it going to be the minimum here? Might it be longer? And are they going to have to find not just a wide receiver, but somebody that also can compete on special teams to fill that gap? Yeah, this is a bigger loss than most people probably realize. A big special teamer and a guy who was making strides in the past game and who they leaned on by simple virtue of the fact that they don't have a lot of wide receiver. The good news for the Colts is Alec Pierce has stepped up in a big way and looks like a nice pair with Michael Pittman Jr. The other good news is they're starting to be able to count on their wide receivers. Tylen Granson had some nice catches last week. Jelani Woods had the big catch a couple of weeks ago after the two touchdown game. And you're starting to see a little bit more of more of Moelle Cox as well. So that's good, right? But Ashton Doolin matters a lot. And you asked Bubba Ventrone, the special teams coordinator. He's one of his favorite guys. He does a lot of different things on special teams. He's a guy that can count on on third downs on offense as well. So this is a big loss. I will add that it's a little encouraging, I don't want to get too far ahead, but it's encouraging that they didn't put Darius Shaq Leonard on IR with the nose slash concussion. I thought originally that might be in play because it took them a couple of days for the swelling to go down just to get a diagnosis on this nose because it was nasty. I mean, for those that saw the blood on that Sunday against the Titans, this was nasty. So hopefully for Shaq's sake, for the defense's sake, this is not a four-game thing. Them not putting him on IR is probably encouraging news, but 
still probably a long shot. He's back for the Jaguars game Sunday. Um, yeah, so that and then and then Jonathan Taylor, I wanted to ask you a couple of things. I thought that maybe in a short week um, he wasn't going to play, but in a longer week, if it was normal, he would have played. I want to ask you about that and his potential return on Sunday, which is vital, and then whether or not can you guys feel at all that uh, there may be some uh, frustration going on with the lack of any space to run whatsoever that this line's creating for him? Yeah. There is. JT's not going to say it. He's too nice of a guy. He's too good of a teammate. But it's human nature to be frustrated. And 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 Philip Lindsay said it for him. You know, Philip Lindsay said, "I know Frank's frustrated. I know JT's frustrated that there's no holes. The amount of pressure, especially in that first Jacksonville game, up the A and B gaps, was just alarming." But I did ask Frank Reich after the press conference late Thursday night in Denver about JT's status for Jacksonville, and he said cautiously optimistic. Those are Frank's words for, I think he's going to be able to play, but I can't say for sure. We're going to get a better sense this week. They're on the practice field tomorrow, Thursday, Friday. They need JT back. We'll see where Naheem Hines is at. I never want to predict a concussion situation, but with the 10-day layoff, that aids him and his ability to come back. He did apologize to Frank in the locker room at halftime of the Denver game, saying, you know, I've taken better, bigger hits than that. I want to go back in. Obviously, there was no chance he was going to go back in. We all saw what happened on that third snap of the game. But, um, you know, there was some encouraging signs. The Denver's defense is really good. And the fact that Deion Jackson, who I thought ran really hard, and Lindsey were able to get over 100 yards collectively Thursday night, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. There were holes. There were places to run. I watched the tape yesterday. If you give JT those holes, they're probably home runs. They're probably touchdowns. Frank Reich is, is adamant that this team is going to come together and they're going to turn the page. And I should add this. It's about this time every year with these new quarterbacks each season that they start to figure things out. Now, no one's going anywhere until this offensive line figures things out. But if you go back, the new quarterbacks, Rivers, four touchdowns and five interceptions, was not playing well at this point. They finished pretty strong with him. Last year, Carson Wentz had the ankle but he played his best football in October and November of last year. I know what everyone's saying. And then, obviously, Matt Ryan, if he can have a clean pocket, can probably play pretty good football. I'm not excusing the interceptions, but his off-target throw percentage is only 7%, and that's better than Brissett. It's better than Rivers, who was very accurate, and it's better than Wentz. So I still believe if they give this guy a clean pocket, which he hasn't had at all this season, he can do – some things to move the football down the field again, but they need to protect him and he's got to stop throwing to the other team as well. Well, and, and again, a couple of things with Zach Key for the athletic here on the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. I, I think we disagree on the quarterback play. I don't think he's been any good at all. Um, and really, I, I think that obviously in large part is because of the offensive line play. That's certainly not, I'm sure, what he signed up for with his protection. But even beyond that, and, and I guess it's from sitting up at the press box, which you have done in those couple of home games, there were some moments late in Kansas City, um, you know, not very much to write home about uh, against Tennessee, but he's missed a lot. He has missed a lot, even without being you know, tracked down within a second and sacked. He's missed a lot. He's he's certainly, you know, fumbled too much. He's been a detriment to his team, even beyond the poor play of the offensive line. What what do you see in him that evidently I don't see? 
Yeah, so this is hard to gauge, right? Like, it's hard to evaluate him so far with the offensive line play and the pressure. Like, you know, we've asked about this internal clock that's just been sped up, and he's had to play faster than he should have because of the line. That being said, the dude's fumbled 11 times. Like, it's a miracle that only three of those have been lost. Like, that's that's ridiculous for a 15-year veteran. That's ridiculous for a first-year quarterback. So, that's inexcusable. The interceptions on Thursday night were abysmal. There's no excusing that. That doesn't, you know, we don't get to throw that out of the equation. But there have been some really good throws. And obviously a quarterback is judged on his consistency. When I go back and watch the tape, and when he does have time, he's made some, he's made some pretty dang good throws. And, and I've seen him, and I've seen him on the tape. We're talking tight windows. We're talking the third down to Alec Pierce on Thursday night in Denver. And the strange thing is he's got – He's got three fourth-quarter comebacks in five weeks. That's more than any quarterback in football. And if he doesn't have a kicker miss a 42-yarder, they got three come-from-behind wins. That matters in my mind because they didn't have that last year. But I see what you're saying. There are points in every game where I'm like, this dude doesn't have it right now. And I think a huge part of it is the offensive line. And a huge part of it is the fact that they're the worst team in the league right now at first and second down. They've had 69 third down attempts that are seven yards or longer. No, sorry, 34 of 69. So half of their third down attempts are third down are, are long, or seven yards or longer. So they're just making it really, really hard. And, and Matt Ryan is not a good enough quarterback. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Josh Allen to just make third and nines look easy, like we used to watch with Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. That's just not going to happen. So I think it's hard to evaluate the quarterback because of the pressure there have been some really bad moments, but I think there's a little bit of good in there somewhere if they protect him. Zach Kiefer of The Athletic is with us. All right, so I'm not coming with the criticism without what I would hope to think would be some sort of solution with Matt Ryan in mind here. And with this offense in mind, the offensive line has been terrible in pass protection. We saw that again on Thursday. Now, I don't know if this was by design or just the way the game was going, but in that final drive, right, it seemed like that late in that game, they shortened up some of the routes to make it more conducive for Ryan to get the ball out of there and not be subject to, you know, the pass rush that's been on top of him because of the lack of the pass protection. I was screaming at halftime, yeah, please shorten up the routes. Please do something more. I asked Stephen Holder the same thing yesterday. He had mentioned that that Ryan is, is not – that's not his forte. That's not what he does in that quick rhythm, getting the ball out of there type of stuff. And you went back to Phillip Rivers a couple of years ago – he really got good with this team and efficient with this team when the ball was out and they got used to those quick rhythm plays and routes being run. I thought he became really efficient at that time. Is that something that they should be thinking about with this offense, especially considering the way this offensive line is pass protecting? I mean, I don't care if it's not Matt Ryan's forte. Make it your forte. Right? Well, I mean, it didn't seem like – I mean, I was screaming about it on, on Thursday night, but I haven't heard anybody else really talk about it, and I just wondered if maybe I was crazy in my thinking there and, and, and what no, I saw at were, the end of the game, too. This, this, this very question was asked Monday in the press conference about ways to get the ball out quicker and protect yourself and protect your offensive line. And remember what happened in 2018 when Frank yeah. Reich took over. They started to do this with Andrew Luck, and it was the first time right. they started to really have quick rhythm throws it took a little while to get used to it, but then they started to really get going late, and it really does help the run game as well. 
They need to. They, they, they can't call these seven-step drops. They can't protect that long. And, and Matt Ryan, I think his release is pretty quick, and he's, he's pretty good at getting the ball out quickly when he's got pressure. But when he's getting pressure on three out of every four passing downs, it's just, there's just not a lot of hope. And he's fairly agile for a guy who's 37 years old, but he's certainly not going to avoid the sacks that, that even Carson Wentz was last year. So, look, I think Frank Reich's acknowledged the fact that they're looking into this and they're trying to figure this out. But it's fairly obvious that, I mean, let's, let's not color code it, right? I mean, they're averaging 13.8 points per game. They haven't scored above 20 since Christmas night in Arizona. And they were pretty terrible on offense that entire game until that final drive. T.Y. caught the big one. And then Wentz made that spectacular throw to Patman. Desmond Patman. I mean, they, they haven't done anything on offense since then. So whatever they're doing is not working, and they need to figure something out. And Frank Reich said they watched a lot of different games this weekend, trying to see what other teams are doing across the league, trying to pick up some things. For their sake, let's hope they figure some things out, and they're going to implement a little bit of this quick passing game to take some pressure off the quarterback, but more importantly, this offensive line. Yeah, it made me feel a lot better about that, too. One final thing was Zach Kiefer of the Athletic. So we, we've seen in a couple of games here, you know, Russell Wilson, whether it was his fault, uh, Nathaniel Hackett's fault, the offense's fault, and then for whatever, give credit where credit is due. The Colts defense played well, especially Stephon Gilmore against them. We saw the Colts defense play well against Patrick Mahomes in that week three win, their first win of the season. I'm curious from that experience going back to week number two against Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence, how differently might we expect this defense to try to handle this Jacksonville offense compared to what we saw back in week two? Yeah, you want to talk about quick trigger game. Trevor Lawrence absolutely diced them up. Trevor Lawrence is is a league MVP every time he plays the Colts. There's only been a couple times, but the last two times, he's absolutely embarrassed them. And if they aren't prepared for that quick passing game on Sunday, I don't know what they're doing all week, frankly, to be honest. And we did ask Gus Bradley, the defensive coordinator, about that today. And it's very obvious that guys are starting to settle into the scheme and understand what they're supposed to do. Kenny Moore, Stephon Gilmore, he singled those guys out by name today, saying they really are buying into what they're doing. And you can see it on Sundays and, I guess, Thursday night last week. So they need to be prepared for very, very quick passes from Trevor Lawrence. And Bradley did say that the, the Jaguars are a much different team than they saw just a couple of weeks ago. I'm interested to see what he meant by that because I don't, I don't know how much different they're going to be. If you're the Jaguars, why would, you, why would you change up your approach? I mean, everything you do against the Colts works. So we'll see. But, they, I mean, let's not overlook the fact that they, they deserve credit for the way they finished and they won the game and Denver's a mess. But this, this Colts team, they have a lot of flaws that they, that they further, further showed us all in Denver on Thursday night. And if they play like that against any other team, Right now, they're going to get beat, including the Jaguars on Sunday. Yeah, and Zach, this is for another time, but we're just thinking about the flaws and the failures with this offensive line, with the construction, the foundational piece that is this offensive line. It just doesn't have an effect this year in the present, but that's going to have a lasting longer-term effect, especially when you're talking about the financials of it. Stuff we'll, I'm sure, all talk about later on if this thing doesn't find a way to get better and get much better compared to where our expectations were, you know? Yeah, we can debate all day and all night about, you know, how to build a team, and we've talked about that on here a lot. If you're going to build through the trenches, right, if you're going to go all in on the offensive and defensive lines, 
then you better do it right, right? You better win up front every single week, and they're not doing that. You see the impact on the defensive line, what they're doing, the problems they're causing, and they're winning games because of that defensive line. On the other side, they're losing games because their offensive line is just underperforming so much. And if you go all in and you spend all that money on that side of the ball and you're going to be about the trenches, then you've got to be about the trenches and you've got to stop getting mauled up front every single week. And, and that's, I mean, I, I just didn't see, I didn't see this coming. I didn't see that regression from especially the three starters that were coming back. So Zach Keefe for the Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Find out some things coming up tomorrow, I guess. Quick rhythm, get the ball out of there, shorter routes. At this point, I, I don't know what more it might take to, for them to uh, adjust to that with their offensive situation. I guess we'll see coming up on Sunday. Should be a fun one. Every every week's a big week right now. You know, you've got you got Jacksonville, and you yeah. got to go to Tennessee, and, and Rabel's really owned the series, and then – Oh, by the way, if he's still the quarterback in Washington, Carson Wentz is coming back. So there's no really where to hide for the Colts, and that's a good thing. It's going to be fun to watch. You got it, buddy. I appreciate you. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, man. It's uh, Zach Key for The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Yeah, a lot of stuff to digest right there. You go back to Phillip Rivers two years ago, and I know that that's how he operated as a quarterback in general. But it took them a while to adjust to that operation, and they did. And that's why I always thought this offensive line got a lot of credit that maybe it didn't deserve because it protected well because he got rid of the ball quickly. Um, It struggled a year ago because Carson Wentz didn't. It struggled this year because Matt Ryan doesn't and hasn't and really hadn't had enough time anyway. So it's all just kind of fading fading in a big way and you got to come up with some answers i'm telling you this if you think that sounds crazy adjusting that offensively with the pass patterns shortening those up quicker rhythm you tell me if that's worse than in a short week coming up with that conclusion they came up with last week along the offensive line of starters well wait a minute you just don't want to panic here that you could describe that as such last week If you don't have those options that you thought you were going to have, you have to find a way with this roster. See what they end up doing. Your call's coming up on the other side. Zach Kiefer, Ben Brown, Greg Rakestraw, Podcast 107.5. TheFan.com. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live as well. Final less than 30 with you right here on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Well, Thursday, we're going to be at the Free Spirit up in Castleton. Larceny, Bourbon Locks, Luna Zool, Tequila Shots, week number six. Me and Brent Halverson and the gang on Thursday. We'd love to see you there. And uh, then we'll go to Broad Ripple for the first time during a Bud Light Blue Friday event. Average Joe's with Rob Sabatini and the gang. Going to be up there coming up. Should be fantastic on Friday. And we're going to be giving away tickets to see Jaguars and Colts coming up on Sunday and more. 
So that's on Friday. Thursday and Friday on the road for you. Cannot wait. Afternoon baseball in LDS. Phillies hang on. Surprise the Braves. Game one, best of five in LDS. 7-6 is the final. Game two is coming up tomorrow. Uh, right now, top of the sixth inning, the Mariners a 6-3 advantage over the Astros. Game one of that ALDS. And two coming up later on tonight between the Guardians and the Yankees, a 7-37 start. Padres and Dodgers coming at you. Game one in the National League, that is at 9-37 coming up later on tonight. So it should be fantastic for you. A lot of baseball. I've really enjoyed the postseason. It's just watching the, the Mariners play well. No, a large part because you got Luis Castillo and you, you've got Eugenio Suarez, two former Reds as a part of it. But a little bit of newness, a new fresh feeling there with the Mariners. Not bad. And you can see these teams that just kind of sat back and had to wait, you know, for wild card teams to shake out, have gotten off to slow starts. Now, the Braves got on it late. I think Olsen had a three-run shot, got him within a run, but slow starts to say the least for both the Braves and the Astros. We'll see if that happens with the Yankees and with the Dodgers coming up later on tonight. But, yeah, playoff baseball is an absolute blast. Greg Rakestraw a little bit earlier, uh, we talked about a variety of things, including the sectional draws for high school football, podcast 107.5thefan.com. And we had a lot with Ben Brown back in the 4 o'clock hour as far as the analytic numbers of um, of the Colts' offensive line, of the Colts' offense, and really, too, I know that there's been a lot of negativity, but Colts defensively, you can say what you want about the level of play of Russell Wilson, but there was some playmaking ability we saw in what saved really the game on Thursday. Can you imagine on Friday if you're talking about that Colts team with a loss after that mess? Uh, much easier to digest, if you want to say it that way, um, after a win. But the defense deserves some credit. The defense has played well. Say what you want again about Russell Wilson right now. But Patrick Mahomes, they played significantly well against him back in week number three. So a couple of things, I guess, that you would want to hang your proverbial hat on as far as positives for the Colts. You can find some defensively. Now, the injury news today, Ashton Doolin, has a foot injury. He was placed on injured reserve. He will miss a minimum of four weeks. So they'll have to find not only another wide receiver, but somebody to play on special teams for Ashton Doolin. Coming up this weekend, that's against the Jacksonville Jaguars. All right, quick break, and we'll come back for a final time. Again, Greg Rakesraw, Ben Brown, Zach Kiefer Podcast, 107.5thefan.com. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Hey, Brett Favre did it today, didn't he? Brett Favre. Brett Favre, he was right out of the, I'm going to act like, and I'm going to do things just like an a-hole, and then I'm going to pull something out of page one of the a-hole playbook play the victim and blame the media that's all you got to do that's what everybody is going to do play the victim and blame the media Favre followed suit by the way there are like text messages there too just like even prior with there were texted pictures there too play the victim blame the media that is the a-hole playbook 
being played out in front of everybody right here. You could have guessed. You do not have to be Nostradamus to guess the direction in which that thing was going to go. Clearly, this is not my fault. It's somebody else's. I'm the victim. Always is. Big Ten Media Day for basketball earlier today, too. Matt Painter, Mike Woodson met with the media, Minneapolis, Minnesota. What Matt Painter had to say, what Mike Woodson had to say, and uh, we're getting ready to start that college basketball season coming up here rather shortly. All right, quick break, and we'll come back for the final time at 239-1070. You, me, us on the phones next. The Ride with JMV. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Blink-182 announced a worldwide tour with tour dates earlier today. Indy apparently not on the initial list. Small things. You know, my wife used to sing this song to me. Really nice of her to do that. You a Blink-182 fan? Yeah, I like their stuff. I was yeah. kind of uh, maybe a couple of years too young when oh. they were in their heyday. Are you bummed because there's no date here at Indy? I'm not surprised. Would you go? No. Maybe, yeah. I, their voice, I mean, they sound old, pretty old from what I've heard, you know, last couple of years. Early 2000s, right? Yeah. Like what, 2000 to 2005 was at their wheelhouse? They, yeah, they had about... Five-year run, yeah. five, seven years, maybe. Blink-182, and they'll hit Nashville, I think, at, at some point. Maybe that's in May, uh, up around, I mean, obviously in Chicago at the United Center. I did not see, and this is always a telltale sign you want to know, uh, because it is, you know, Indianapolis and there are other locations vying for this. I didn't see a Cincinnati show, not a Columbus show. I didn't see a St. Louis show. I didn't see a Louisville show. Louisville has become a major player with the Yum Center down there as well to try to get um, concerts going. But I did see a Nashville one. I saw a Chicago one, a Detroit, and a Cleveland, I think, is the uh, closest locations to Indy what I, from what I saw a little bit earlier today. But, yeah, I mean, I wasn't the biggest Blink-182 guy out there. I just know that if you graduated high school somewhere between 2000 and 2005, the chances are, Kyle, you probably were a significant Blink-182 fan. Tom DeLonge is, you know, the lead singer. He uh, he doesn't sound great live. If you ever heard him, you know, in his other band, Angels and Airwaves, he's uh, much better on the studio-recorded version. How long has it been since they've toured? Do we know? I think they broke up maybe a decade ago. Did they really? I think so. I don't even know that. I guess I wouldn't consider myself very big as a Blink-182 fan. Uh, But again, I know that, you know, if you're in the neighborhood of 2000 to 2005 in high school or graduating high school, you probably, probably love them. But as of right now, and again, all this stuff can change. Sometimes these bands get out and, you know, find a minute and can make a stop. But this is a significant year-long worldwide tour because they start in the U.S. and then they end up going to Europe come back and then after their second united states tour uh they head to australia so yeah that is significant cashing some checks right there blink 182 is that what the world tour is you know united states europe australia that's what they call a world tour like forget asia forget africa it's like you hit those three continents that's a world tour michael Gigi says they were here in 2018 sans tom 
Yeah, he, like I said, he left. Yeah. He did a different band for a little bit while, a, a while, and right. uh, I think they just recently so it, are, it, came it, back it, together. It, help me out here. So it would be like I want to see Rage Against the Machine, but without Zach De La Roca, I wouldn't want to see Rage Against yeah, the Machine. Not worth would it. that be? Would that Same be kind of like this? Yeah. 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 It makes a lot of sense there, I guess. So 2018 from Michael G.G. Um, they were here last. But apparently not anything on the schedule as of right now. For Cambridge Fieldhouse, that is a Blink-182 worldwide tour right there. All right, a little bit earlier, Greg Rakestraw was with us. Fantastic, as always. Ben Brown was here. Ben Brown, PFF data scientist at Kiefer of the Athletic was also here a little bit earlier. Afternoon baseball. A couple of surprises so far. One's actually in the books. Atlanta loses game one. Their best of five NLDS at home against the Phillies. Phillies continue to play some good ball. 3-0 and in the postseason are the Phil. 7-6 was your final. Actually, the Phillies got out early against Max Freed and then had to hang on because the Braves did rally late. I think Olsen had a three-run jack. Got them within one run at 7-6, and then the Phillies closed them out. Uh, Nick Castellanos, the former Reds right fielder, had a big game at the plate and had a big catch late in that game to help seal it up. As I mentioned, two Mariners, six, Astros, three. They're playing into the bottom of the sixth inning in Houston, of course. The Astros, uh, one of the best, 106-56 on the season for the Astros. Now, the Mariners got off to a decent start, did they not? Two wins in Toronto. Astros started a little bit slow, kind of like the Braves started a little bit earlier today. We'll see if the Yankees have that issue, if the Dodgers have that issue tonight. Guardians, Yankees, 737. Padres, Dodgers, 937 for you. Kyle, great job. Thank you for listening inside the lounge via YouTube Live, as well as the app, which is working right now. 93.5, 107.5, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Track sides at 7. Back with you in studio tomorrow at 3. Have a great night.